fancy meeting you here. Hey, kids, you are dismissed for Sunday school. I want to thank, so we have to thank a couple of people. Number one is this. I want to thank um, all the people who stayed here Sunday, last Sunday after church to get things set up. Because the building looks really beautiful. Can we give those, that group of people a hand? The second thing is, is last week, if you remember, we had no projector. And th this is the beauty of, of God and the, and the body working together. Um, we asked if anyone would be interested in helping to purchase a, a projector. And somebody stepped forward and purchased a projector. And then Vince and our sight and sound team went all crazy. And, and Saturday, they installed the projector so that we are good to go for today. So can we thank them for all their hard work and everything they do? I, what I'm most fascinated about is I couldn't believe that with a running start, Vince could jump up that high to get to that. It was, it's pretty amazing, you know. So Joanne said that back in high school, he was called Air Vince. So that was it. But hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I, I, Pam and I have had one of those mornings. Like we, we, <laughs> we woke up this morning and Pam says, why is it so cold in the house? Now, now Pam is cold just about all the time. So that's not, but our, our furnace wasn't working because something's going on. So we got to figure out that this afternoon. And then we drive to church. We have this really nice drive. You know, we're praying and we're thanking God. And I always talk about my friends, all these farms we pass and they have their horses out and the horses all have their coats on and everything. And we're praising the Lord. And we pull in the parking lot. And then I realize that my Bible, my notebook, my pen and paper, everything that I need is still back sitting safely in my living room. So then Pam, like a trooper, Drove all the way back. Drove all the way back here again. So, yes, yeah, so, so. And our present for that is we'll go home to a cold house and we'll call the furnace company and we'll see what's going on. But anyways, the point is, is all that stuff can unnerve us. Anyone have these little things that happen in life that just kind of unnerve us and that? So that's my life right now. So I'm going to pray, but please pray for me as I <laughs> prepare to give this message um, and let's just ask God to meet us in this place. God, I know that you have preeminence over all of these things. And so, God, as we open up your word today, Lord, I pray that it would minister to our souls, Lord. Uh, because I know, for me, it is good when I am with you. And, Lord, that's where I desire to be. And there's many things that go on around me. Some things are wonderful and fun, and some things are kind of a drag. But, Lord, you're going to go with me, and we'll figure this out together, and that's how it works. And so, God, thank you for this church. Thank you for community. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for people who will decorate. Thank you for people who will help put it, install new projectors. Um, it takes many hands to make things work. And so, God, I'm, I'm grateful for this team of people. And I'm grateful to call them my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, why don't you open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. If you need a Bible, I think we've got some around. On the back there, there's some Bibles, or you can look it up on your phone. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The title of my sermon is called Knowing, Growing, and Exploring. Uh... In the Christian faith, I think it's important that as we start to know Christ and we start to grow in Christ, 
And then we start kind of exploring the world and exploring what's around us. And the great thing is, is we take Christ into these things. Um, I remember with all three of my sons, when they were looking at colleges, it was a knowing, growing, exploring kind of atmosphere. Because we were going and we were visiting places and we were trying to figure out, all right, guys, you know, what are we, what, what's God telling us and where's God leading us and what's God saying to us? And, and God just led us so powerfully in all those ways. And the boys are all where they're supposed to be. And that's a good thing. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about some amazing miracles Jesus did and in Mark chapter 4, in the beginning of Mark chapter 5. Um, remember I told you, and I'll always keep saying this, that you need to remember that miracles serve primarily two purposes. Number one, yes, it does radically change someone's life. But most importantly, the biggest reason Jesus is doing these miracles is so that the disciples, through the miracles, will believe what he says. In other words, Jesus is going to say things that are much more powerful than miracles. But how do we know we can believe them? Well, Jesus says, well, I will show you that I can do these things so that you will believe when I say these things. A lot of us always think if we can meet one of the disciples, how many of us would like to meet Peter? Right? Because Peter did a lot of crazy stuff, you know. And I always think I would want to talk to Peter and I would say, Peter, you know, tell me about the miraculous catch of fish, you know, when you first met Jesus. Or, or Peter, tell us when you walked on water. Or Peter, what, you know, when you denied Christ, what was that all about? And what was going on? And what were you thinking and feeling? And all these things. And I think that Peter would go, all right, all right, I'll tell you that. But if Peter were standing in front today and there was a Q&A and we asked him all those questions, I think after he answered all of them, he'd say, okay. No more questions about walking on water. No more questions about doubting Jesus. No more questions about denying Jesus. No more questions about any of that stuff. Here's what I want you to know. And this is what I think you would say. I think we have this verse, 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25. All flesh is as grass, and all glory of man as flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Say that last part with me. The word of the Lord endures forever. So in other words, Peter would say, guys, don't get caught up in miracles. Don't get caught up in all these things. It's the word of the Lord that endures forever. Everything he said endures forever. Miracles pass away. In other words, Jesus healed people, but they still ended up dying. People always say, well, what do you think happened with Jairus' daughter? If I had to guess, she grew up, got married, had a family, loved, lived, and then passed away. It was a miracle, but it was only a temporary fix. Now, a lot of times we look at miracles that Jesus did and we think it looks a little bit chaotic. Like, do you ever imagine Jesus walking through a crowd and he's going, you're healed and you're healed and you've got this and you've got this. And it seems like it's a little haphazard. Anyone ever feel that way? Like, you, you just think of a mob coming up and, it, and, it, and it's almost like Jesus is, is shooting things out of his fingers going, you're healed, you're healed, all these things and everyone's screaming and yelling. Now, I think Jesus was very, very particular about what he was doing because he wanted to make sure everyone knew he could believe what he was saying. 
So his miracles are very specific. So think with me. In Mark chapter 4, remember when Jesus is in the boat, what does he do? He calms the storm. Jesus shows his preeminency or command or control over all of creation. Then they cross over the lake and they meet the man who's possessed by a demonic spirit, many demonic spirits. And Jesus casts those demons out. Jesus shows his preeminence in the spiritual realm. So he's done creation. Now he's in the spiritual realm. Then he sails back across the lake and he meets a woman who's caught with bleeding. She reaches out and touches him. Jesus heals her. So now we see Jesus having dominion over the physical realm. Then finally, he goes to Jairus' house, and everyone says, don't bother, Jesus, it's too late. And Jesus brings this 12-year-old girl back to life. So Jesus shows his power over life and death itself. So do you see that Jesus is building a systematic belief system here? He's saying, listen, I have complete dominion over all of creation. I have complete dominion in the spiritual realms. I have complete dominion in the physical realms. I have complete dominion over life and death itself. So when people think, I don't understand Jesus, I don't know, he's just wandering around, it's chaos. I think Jesus was going, no, it was controlled chaos. I knew what I was doing. And I knew why I was doing it. In Colossians, Paul talks about Christ having preeminence, and that's what Jesus showed. He showed preeminence over all these things. So the disciples are coming off a whirlwind trip of incredible display of Jesus' preeminence. And then we come into chapter 6, and it gets a little bumpy. So open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Our three for the road, number one, is very simple. Why do you believe? Why do you believe? talk about that in a little bit, but let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Then he went out from there, and he came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. Now, for the disciples, they're thinking, all right, this is where we can kind of coast a little. Like, we're back in familiar territory. And certainly, Jesus will come back, and everyone will be thrilled to see him. Eh, kind of. And when the Sabbath had come... He began to teach in the synagogue. Now I want you to look very closely about what the people's observation is about Jesus. Remind, remember, this isn't what Jesus is saying about himself. This is people who are sitting there observing G Jesus and listen to what they say. <clears throat> and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which was given to him? So they see that he has incredible wisdom. Now, back in that culture, if you were speaking and someone went, wow, that guy Jim Hunter is really something else. Where you? Jim, who did you learn under? But with Jesus, there's no, he didn't learn under anyone, right? Well, he wasn't under Paul or he wasn't under this person. He wasn't under this chief priest. So they're hearing Jesus and they're saying, he has knowledge that can only come from God. Because look how they follow it up. 
Where did the man get these things? And what wisdom is this which was given to him? So the wisdom was given to him. And then it says that such mighty works are performed by his hands. So Jesus comes back to his home, home country, and they look at him and they say, listen, there's something about you that is supernatural. Furthermore, there's things that you do that are supernatural. It's obvious God is moving very, very powerfully. Now, wouldn't you think that this is the setting for a really great, like, church to be built? A really great ministry? Because they acknowledge these two things about Jesus. But look at where their hearts are. Is this not the carpenter? See, right away they try and knock it down. He's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James, Josie, Judas, and Simon. At this point, historians will say that Joseph was more than likely dead. And so what do they list off? They say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy's a woodworker. He didn't go to any fancy rabbi school. Furthermore, his mom, she's nothing special. He's got brothers, got sisters. Who is this guy that he can talk like this? And why does he have this authority? And how can he do these things? And look at the last verse in verse 3. So they were offended at him. Does that seem weird? Does it seem strange that they acknowledge all these things about Jesus and then they say, and you know what? I don't like you. Yeah, but you just said you feel like I have wisdom from God. Yeah. Well, you just said that you believe that the miracles I do are from God. Yeah, but I don't like you. You're a carpenter. Your mom, your brothers, your sisters. We're looking for a David-like Messiah. We're not looking for a guy like you. And yet, couldn't you look at it and go, well, okay, he's from Bethlehem. And he's in the lineage of David. They knew that. And wasn't David, what was David's job? Wasn't he a high-end finance guy in the early days of Bethlehem? No, he was a shepherd. And he was a lowly shepherd. And how low was David? Well, in his own family, David wasn't very well thought of. How do we know that? Because remember when Samuel came to anoint a king, one of Jesse's sons? Jesse brought out all of his sons, right? No. Samuel goes through all of them, and then he says, wait a minute, none of these guys are going to be kings. Jesse, is this all your sons? Well, I, no, technically there's one other. Now, I want to want you to think about that statement for a little bit. Can you imagine your family doing a big family Christmas picture? And Bob, you walk in the room, there's all the extended family, they're all getting a picture. You walk in, and you go... What's going on? Oh, we're doing a family picture. And then, Shirley, you said to Shirley, well, how come I didn't know? Well, we weren't going to have you in it. He doesn't even bring David in. Why? Because he's just a shepherd. He's just a kid. You don't want him. You want one of these. And guess what? Thousands of years later, they do the same thing to Jesus. He's not enough. Even though they recognize that it's supernatural what he is. 
But Jesus said in verse 4, said to them, a prophet is not without honor, is, is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. And, and he could only do, he could, I'm sorry, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick and the peop, sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages and the circuit teaching. Jesus wasn't limited in what he could do there, but I think that Jesus' miracles were often very linked to the people he was trying to minister to. So, let's make this hit home. Why do you believe? See, these guys had enough information to really believe in Jesus, but they didn't. I gave you those white cards this morning. One of the things I want you to do is I want you to write down on those cards sometime this week reasons why you believe. And then I want you to take that card and I want you to stick it in your Bible. Because every now and then when you're going through your Bible, you need to pull that card out and you need to go, oh yeah, this is what I believe. This summer, Pam and I celebrated our 27th wedding anniversary. Did I get that right? Oh, look at that. See, a tough morning, I just come out and I still can hit the three, right? 27 years. We took a couple days, we just went away, we had some fun, we reconnected. Why? Because I think it's so important to remember who we are. We're husband and wife, and we love one another, and we care for one another. And we want to focus our, our marriage on the Lord. And there's times where maybe Pam feels insecure in areas. And then there's times where maybe I feel insecure in areas. But we need to come together and be together. It focuses us and it unifies us moving forward. I think we need to do the same with our relationship with Christ. Every now and then we need to reaffirm why do we believe? Why do you believe? For me, I wrote down a couple of things. The peace that my relationship has given me in Jesus Christ. Before I knew Jesus, I did not know peace. And I don't mean peace in my external world. I mean peace in here. Before I knew Jesus Christ, did I have happiness in my life? Yes, happiness is contingent on what's going around you. When I came to know Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I had joy. Joy dwells within you answered prayers that God has showered upon me. Many answered prayers. Forgiveness that I sensed deep inside me. Now, why is it important that we write these things down? Why is it important that we remember them? Because if we don't, the way Satan works is he'll whisper something in your ear, and here's what he'll tell you. Hey, Eric, you know, your relationship with your so-called creator... It's mostly you and very little him. Do you ever notice that? And how many of you every now and then have these thoughts? Lord, I've devoted my life to you. I follow you. I worship you. I share. I read your Bible. I give. I'm generous. I'm loving. Where are you? How come you're not doing things? How come you're not moving in my life? How many of you ever have those thoughts? I do. I do. And I need to write them down why I believe because when I have those thoughts, I want to pull that out and I want to look at that card and go, wait a minute. This is what I believe. 
this is why I believe it, this is why I live this, and I don't want to forget the things that God has done in my life, I don't want to forget the things God is doing in my life, and I don't want to forget the things that God will move forward and be faithful to me because he always has been. And we need to remember those things. Because the reverse is, if we lose track of the things Jesus has done in our lives, we'll begin to doubt what Jesus says. Because if we lose track of what Jesus has done in our life, if we forget these things, how many people have ever found like an old journal that you used to write in and you kind of forgot about it? You ever do that, Joanne? And then you read back and you go, oh my gosh, I remember this. I totally forgot. God was so gracious. He was so kind. When I was in college, I'll never forget that I needed to get an internship and the internship was extremely difficult to get. And it was my senior year, and I was putting in applications. I was trying to get this internship. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And I remember writing in my journal, just praying, saying, God, you have to do something amazing. And I remember through a friend of a friend, I met this woman, and she said, uh, Eric, what are you going to school for? I told her, I said, yeah, you know what? I'm trying to get an internship, and I've got to get an interview at this radio station. I'm trying to get this and that. And she goes, oh, I know that guy. I'm going to call him. And I'm like, oh, I really appreciate that. But how many people think that'll ever really happen? I remember I went into this interview, and the guy right away said, you're friends with Chris. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know her. He said, he took this big stack of applications. He goes, okay, the internship's yours. And I remember thinking, God, you knit this together out of nothing. God is so good. Before you leave today, I want you to tell someone why you believe. Before you leave, we're going to lock the doors. Can't get out. Why do you believe? You need to be able to give an answer. Because I'm going to tell you something. Jen, if you go walking into Acme later on and somebody says to you, what were you doing this morning? You said, I go to church. Why do you go to church? Because I believe. Why do you believe? Uh... No, we have to be ready. Everyone would say, hey, we have to be ready to give an answer. We should be able to answer our fellow brothers and sisters fairly easy, right? Why do you believe? Let's keep going. Three for the road, number two. Do you have a spiritual connection with others? Let's look at verse seven. So Jesus does this, and then what does he say? He says, all right, guys, it's time for us to go on the offense. You have done enough on your own. It's time to take the training wheels off. Remember the first time you took the little swimmy arm things off your kid and put them in the pool? And I'm still thinking, he's going to sink, he's going to sink, he's going to sink. But somehow they do it. Verse 7. And he called the 12 to himself and he began to send them out two by two. We're never meant to be alone in this. You've got to have some spiritual brothers and sisters. So he sent them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. In other words, don't over-prepare it. What's important is your message. And here's the other thing I want you to know. God is always moving beyond you. He's always further down the trail. In other words, Jesus never says, hey, Eric, I'm going to send you into somewhere. Man, I have never been there, but I'm going to send you. 
come on, how arrogant do we think we are? Do we really think that God's going to send us somewhere before he's there? He's going to go, he's going to get it ready, and he goes, guys, go out there. Yeah, but what if, Peter, I got it all figured out. Just go. Well, shouldn't we bring, just go. I'm moving. So they go. He gives them power over demonic spirits. Because guess what? If Satan wants to stop this quote-unquote movement, he knows Jesus is leaving at some point. So what does he got to do? Well, stop these guys. And so Jesus goes, I'm going to give you authority over them. Also, he said to him, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they cast out demons. And they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they go out. And Jesus says, hey guys, I just want you to know. You're not going to go out and everywhere you go, people are going to welcome you with a parade. And I want you to know that everywhere you go, they're not always going to be thrilled to hear, hear what you have to say. How many people of you have shared your faith with somebody who did not want to hear it at all? Before I moved here, I met with this guy, Dave. And if by some chance Dave is watching this, he knows what I'm going to say. We went out to dinner. At the end of dinner, I said, Dave, listen, before I leave Buffalo, I want to share something with you. And I share with him about Jesus Christ. And I am telling you, that guy, I could tell he wanted nothing to do with it. And so I got out of his car, and I turned around. I said, listen, I want you to have this. And I gave him a Bible, and he said, I don't want that. And I said, no, I want you to have it. And he said, Eric, I don't want it. And so he gave it back to me. And as he was pulling away, his window was done, I threw it back in. I have not talked to him in 28 years. I don't know. But in a sense, I thought, you know what? I've shared with him. I've talked with him. I gave him a Bible. I shared my life. I gave him opportunities to connect with me, and he's not interested. I hope that Dave comes to know Jesus Christ. I don't even know if the guy's alive. But we keep moving forward. We keep going. Jesus sends us by two by two. He gives us community. That's why, listen, if you need to watch church online, it's fine. If you're sick or you've got things going on, I get that. But you need to be in the building. Why? Because we need to see one another. We need to hug one another. We need to fix projectors together. We need to do life together. It's so important. So he tells, these people, tells the disciples to go out and do this. Now let's make it home, hit it home. Do you have spiritual connections with others? Everywhere I read in scriptures where, those vent where Christians venture out on their own, they run into serious problems. In the Old Testament, David should have been with his troops out at the time of war, but instead he was home, and he ended up in an inappropriate relationship with Uriah, his friend's wife, Bathsheba. Judas is a guy who had intimate access to Jesus, who had intimate relationships with people, but somehow or another, Judas went totally off the rails, and it seems like none, no one except Jesus saw it coming. You wonder if Judas ever really connected with people. I don't know about you, but if I'm not careful, all my relationships in life can be very surfacey. Men especially, 
can spend a lot of time talking about jobs, sports, projects at home, politics, but they might never really connect spiritually with anyone. I don't know if that hits any of the guys in this room, but I'm going to tell you, it's me. It takes me a long time to really share. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's I feel like I'm showing weakness. Maybe it's I'm embarrassed. I don't know. There's one word that I've never really liked, and for whatever reason, it just feels like just fingernails down a chalkboard. It's the word vulnerability. Doesn't that feel anti-man? Do you ever hear somebody say, oh, well, you know what, Joe, you need to be vulnerable. Is it just me? Is there any guy that feels that way? Vulnerable feels like you're weak. Vulnerable feels like, no, you know what, someone's getting the better of me. I'm not vulnerable. I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm resilient. I can take all this. But here's the crazy thing. When I read the scriptures, my Savior was vulnerable. When he was in the garden, he fell on the ground and prayed. And he asked his disciples to pray with him. Here's your fearless leader laying on the ground, sweating blood. He asked his father if there was any way out of this, please. That sounds vulnerable. When Lazarus died, what did Jesus do? He cried. He cried. When the woman was caught in adultery, Jesus was vulnerable with both the woman and the crowd. Notice that Jesus said to the crowd, listen, if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone. Do you know Jesus could have very easily said, hey guys, before we start casting stones, how about this? How about anyone who's sinless can start throwing stones? And Jesus started throwing stones. He could have. Then when the crowd leaves, and here's this woman who, in all in all, is guilty, what does Jesus do? Forgives her. Tells her to leave her life of sin. He's vulnerable. Look what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by, two, by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's something about companionship. There's something about connection with one another. It's something about having someone's back. And guys, girls, all of us, we need to spiritually connect with one another. Why? Because life is tough. A friend of mine sent me a video about police, the police academy. And he said, when you're in the police academy, before you uh, officially, you know, kind of go out, you're on your own, you have to be tased. You have to be shot with a taser. And the reason you have to be shot with a taser is they want police officers to understand how it feels before they ever taser someone else. And so they bring these people out to be tasered, 
But before they're tasered, you know what they do? They have one person on their left and one person on their right, and they hold them. Because they'll say, hey, listen, when you get shot with this thing, we don't want you to get hurt, so we'll hold you until you can regain your legs, and then we'll lay you down on the ground. And boy, they show these guys, they get shot, they're down on the ground and everything like that. It takes them a little, and then they lift them up. But if they don't help them, they would get tased and just fall onto the hard floor. And that's what I think about. I think life has a way where how many of you are just going through life and then all of a sudden you get like tasered? You're going along and all of a sudden you just get hit. You just get nailed. And you go, oh my gosh, God, what is going on? Listen to what Peter writes. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. How many of you love someone, but they drive you crazy often? But you still just love them. You just love them. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. <laughs> How many people are grumblers out there? As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We should use our gifts and minister to the world at large and to the lost. But also we should use our gift and minister to the people right in this room. And just love them and care for them and be hospitable. A while back I was sick and I got a text message from my buddy Bob. He dropped my favorite soup off and left it on the front doorstep. I like that Bob. He's a good guy. But care, love, spiritually connect with one another. Because how many of you are smiling and everything looks all right and everything, but inside you are struggling? I remember walking out to my car one time after a church service. And I'm walking out and I had just had a conversation uh, with, with a couple. And they were very happy, very this and that and everything like that. And I remember walking by and I looked in their car and they were sitting in their car and both of them were crying. And I thought, what's going on there? What's happening? Because evidently, what they were showing on the outside wasn't what was going on on the inside. But let's finish this up. Mark chapter 6, start, starting at verse 14. Three for the road, number three. The Lord creates opportunities. Man specializes in regret. The Lord creates opportunities. Man specializes in regret. So now comes a pretty dark period here. It says, now King Herod heard about him, hearing about Jesus, they're saying, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. So this guy believes that John the Baptist has somehow come back from the dead. Now how do we know that John the Baptist is dead? Well, because Herod had a hand in that. And now we're going to do a little flashback as to what went on. It says... Uh, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in them. Others said it is Elijah, and others said it is, the pro it is the prophet, meaning the Messiah, or like one of the prophets. Now, where does this all come from? Look at Matthew 16, uh, 13, and 14. We have that verse up here. 
And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do, they, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So there were rumors floating around that people are thinking, hey, Jesus, well, Elijah left on the chariot, now he's come back. John the Baptist was beheaded, but he's come back. But Jesus and John the Baptist were contemporaries. They knew each other, so that doesn't make sense. But in Herod's mind, he thinks it's John. And listen to what it says. Verse 16, but when Herod heard this, he said, this is John the Baptist, whom I beheaded, and he has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Now, there is some really weird stuff going on here, so let me explain this. Herodias was married to Herod's brother. Herodias was also Herod's niece. So, Herod pulled this girl away from his brother, married her, so he's married to his niece. So, yes, this is like one of those afternoon talk shows, right? Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against them and wanted to kill him, but she could not. Now, why couldn't she have him killed? Well, listen to this, and tell me if this description of John is it very similar to the beginning of this chapter of how the people looked at Jesus. Listen to this. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, and he, and when he heard him, he did many things, and he heard him gladly. So here's the interesting thing. At first, Herod has him arrested, and Herod's kind of ticked at him. Then he actually starts to hear John speak. And he begins to build a little bit of a relationship with John. And all of a sudden, Herod's going, hey, you know what? Don't rough him up in the prison. Make sure he gets good food. Take care of him. Why? Because Herod himself sees him as a holy man and sees him as just. And deep inside, he knows John's right. How many of you can't stand it, but when somebody comes to you with an absolutely brutal truth that makes you angry, but you know they're right. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. And you can be angry all you want, but ultimately you're going, I know they're right. And so Herod has John in prison, and he's kind of controlling the situation, but at the same time, he's kind of enamored with him. And of course, his wife, his niece, isn't real excited about that. So, then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles and high officers and the chief men of Galilee. This is one of these, I'm really great and you should think it too party. Right? And Herod has all of these high-ranking men. Now, I want you to see that this is a pretty disgusting situation. Verse 22. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him. The king said to the girl, ask for whatever you want and I will give it to you. Now, let me ask you something. When I first read this, I can think back to like when my niece started to dance and she would do these little tap dance things and 
we'd go to these recitals, and you'd see the little, the girls all come out in their little floofy dresses, and they dance, and this and that, and all the parents are there taking pictures and everything like that, but ultimately, I'm looking, and I'm like, hey, listen, I'm really just kind of interested in watching my niece dance, and she's doing her thing, so all these other people are watching their kid, but I'm only concerned with her, and everyone goes, oh, it's just cute and adorable. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think this was a little girl coming to dance. Because if you listen to it, it says that Herodi's daughter herself, in verse 22, came and danced, and it pleased Herod. And those who sat with him, I think this is a teenage girl who came out and was flaunting herself very suggestively in front of a group of guys. I don't think this is a little girl cute dance. I think that she's throwing herself around and these guys who are probably half sauced are watching this and they're just thinking this is the greatest. I've done youth ministry for a long, long time. And I did that for years before I came here and I'm gonna tell you something. I used to walk with a bunch of middle school and high school kids in the public areas, and I would watch men stare at these young girls. And the young girls wouldn't even realize it. And I remember one time doing a, a, a big, huge event at a bowling alley. And we walked into this bowling alley. And this one girl who was in our group, she's just a very fun girl, but she was very, very pretty and very outgoing, and she drew a lot of attention. And at one point, I remember her walking around, and as they were getting the public out of this bowling alley, because I had reserved the entire thing, I watched a group of men following around watching this girl. And I said to one of the dads who was there to help chaperone, I said, hey, listen, I want to, he goes, you're talking about her. And I said, yeah. And I said, I just want you to walk around and be near her. And he goes, do you see the way the men are staring at her? I said, yeah. He goes, she's 14. Anybody ever witness something like that? Anyone ever see a girl that you love and care about and you see some older guy oogling at her and you just want to beat somebody up? Well, this girl comes in and I think she's prancing around and I think everyone's a little bit drunk and everyone's a little bit celebrating and then the king says something foolish. If you're not walking with the Lord, you will do and say all sorts of foolish things. And what does he say to her? Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. And he declares this in front of everyone. He also swore, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. You know how stupid that is to say? So she went out and she asked her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. You think this mom cared about her daughter? You know, this mom could have set her daughter up for the rest of her life and taken great care of her. But that was never what she was interested in. She didn't care about her daughter. Her daughter was a piece of the puzzle that solved the problem she wanted to get to. And she wanted to get to through John. And if she has to have her daughter put in an awkward situation, so be it. So the girl goes in, and immediately she came and with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once, the head of John the Baptist on a platter in the middle of a birthday celebration. This is where we're going. 
And I want you to read this verse. And I want you to see what happens in a fool's heart when they're not thinking clearly. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Because all of a sudden, in this happy, festive situation, and this girl comes prancing back in, and he looks at her and says, baby, what do you want? And she says this, all of a sudden, it's a fatal blow. And he's really sorry. But he's backed himself into a corner. And he's very sorry, but the next word in that sentence should pierce every one of our hearts. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but in my verse, what's the next? In my Bible, it says, yet. Is that what it says in your Bible? And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet. How many of you have had times in your life where you're exceedingly, there's sorrow in your heart that you've done something, but then you go, but I'm in too deep. So we're going to go and we're going to make this situation worse. Yet, because of the oaths he had made and those who sat with him, and he did not want to refuse her, immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he beheaded him in prison. And they brought his head on a platter, and they gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and they took away his corpse and they laid it in a tomb. I believe those disciples were not Jesus' 12 disciples. I believe they were John's disciples. James chapter 4 says, Where do wars and fights come among you? Do they not come from the desires for pleasure that war in your members? Jesus, I am so sorry, yet this is what I'm going to do. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do this. Regret. One clear advantage of walking with the Lord is you're not getting yourself into regretful situations. What a tremendous, noble life that was sacrificed for something so stupid. But let's make this hit home. The Lord creates opportunities. Man specializes in regret. So let me tell you what this story could have been. What if the girl comes to Herod and says, I want John the Baptist's head on a plate? What if, what if Herod would have stood up in front of everyone, think about this, and said, you know what, guys? I made a foolish oath. And I'm not going to put John the Baptist to death. And I'm going to give you two reasons why I'm not going to put him to death. Number one reason is this. I think he's a holy man. Number two, I think he's a just man. So, rather than have him put to death, I'm going to ask that John be brought up here, and I want you to hear from him yourself. Now, I'm going to be honest, he says some stuff that makes me mad, but he makes me think about things. And it's my birthday, and all of you guys got to sit here because I'm the king, and we're going to listen to this guy. Can you imagine what would have happened? What would those guys do? Oh, I don't want to hear. Well, I guess we're hearing from this guy, John. And John comes up. Wild beard, camel skin, everything like that. And John comes up and goes, hey, everybody, how you doing? Let me tell you something about you brood of viper, sinful, broken guys. I'll tell you something. Put some clothes on that girl. And then he'd start preaching. There was an opportunity there. 
But Herod went with, yet, this is what I'm going to do. Let's make this hit home. As believers, I think we should always live with the end game in mind. What this means is that in the end, it will all come before the Lord to give an account. I have enough stuff that I have to come before the Lord with, so I can't carry anyone else's. You all have to come before the Lord and give account. So consider this before you speak in anger. Consider this before you carry a grudge. Grumble. Consider this before you engage in a behavior that will only lead to pain. How many of you, the vast majority of pain in your life is self-inflicted? really is. You say things, you do things, you cause pain. I can clearly look back at my life when I was not really filtering things through Christ, and I put myself in a lot of regrettable situations. Things that just cause pain. I made a fool of myself. In a thousand years, all that will matter is whether I knew Christ as my Lord or Savior or not. Jesus can open doors where we didn't even know doors existed. Jesus can heal pain that feels incurable. And everybody wants change, but let me tell you the equation for change. You got to know why you believe. You got to be spiritually connected, and you have to pursue the Lord's opportunities rather than man's regrets. But we spend a lot of time like Herod. And I want to mean something awful, horrible, but we spend a lot of time going, all right, how can I manipulate this situation the way it needs to go? Well, what way does it need to go? My way is the way it needs to go. But I'm going to tell you something. God can open doors. God can change situations. God can change our hearts. But if we don't know why we're following them, it's not going to make sense. And if you're not spiritually connected with one another, listen, in the Christian faith, the Lone Ranger dies every time. In the cartoons, he may live. In the Christian faith, they never make it. you got to be spiritually connected, and you got to stop living in the flesh and creating regrets. So one of the things I really try and do is stop beating myself up with the regrets of the past. And instead, I keep saying, Lord, from here on, I want to be firm on why I believe in you. And I want that little declaration, I want that card in my Bible all the time, because when I'm not doing real well, I want to go, all right, hold on, Eric. Let's reset the computer here. And remember why you believe. Hey, Eric, are you putting effort into spiritually connecting with other people? You got to do that. Eric, stop pursuing regrettable situations. I can't tell you how many things I've regret, how many situations I've avoided by just simply being quiet. This right here can cause a lot of trouble in your life. How many of you, the moment you speak something, you wish it was like a, you know, a, a piece of wood that you could grab and pull back? Because the moment it came out of your mouth, you went, oh boy, that was really fleshly. But instead, be quiet. And you'll avoid a lot of regret. I don't know where everybody is today. And I don't know how your relationship with the Lord is doing. But I'm going to tell you this. 
that when I talk with people who are struggling, oh, Eric, I'm really having a tough time. Really, you could go through these three things. Why do you believe? And if you're shaky on that, you got to sit down and really do a Christianity 101 with yourself. Number two, are you spiritually connected with people? Number three, are you following God's opportunities or, or man's regrets? And if one of those three is off kilter, your life is off balance. It's as simple as that. Everything we do here at Hope is opportunities for you to exercise why you believe. It's opportunities for you to spiritually connect. It's opportunities for you to live life together because when you live life together, you avoid a lot of regrettable situations. Because you have people who will pull you aside and say, hey, Bob, I love you, but I don't know if this is a good idea, and here's what God's telling me. And then you know what? Bob gets in his car and drives home and goes, I just avoided a regret. Thumbs up. Way to go. Let's stand up. Close this in a word of prayer. I just want to share again, we announced earlier this morning about the marriage conference coming up in February. Rob and Jen Schwing are in the atrium. If you have questions or that, please talk to them. $95. I can't tell you, for Pam and I in all our years of ministry, how many people waited until they were absolutely at the dead end of their marriage before all of a sudden they went, hey, you know what, maybe we need some help. Why not head that off now? Why not head that off now? Why not work at it now? Pam and I are going, why, because our marriage is in crisis? No. Because one of the things that I'm realizing with our marriage is it has to continue to develop. The reason why it has to continue to develop is that we are changing. Life is changing. Kids are moving out. We're getting older. We have to figure this out. And the thing is, I don't want to say, you know what, hon, there was a time in our life where I thought our marriage was fantastic, and now we just kind of coexist together. No. I want it to be great. She wants it to be great. And guess what? If our marriage is really great, I think you'll benefit as well. No one wants the grumpy pastor and his mad wife up here, right? Let's pray. And we're going to close with a song. God, thank you for this time. And Lord, this week, I, like just reading this passage, I, I'm dumbfounded how people could see you and know that your words came from the Lord, that people could see you and listen to you and watch you and know that your works came from God. In the same way, I don't understand how a king could look at someone, say they're holy and just, and then have them beheaded. But Lord, the only way around regrettable situations in life is to know why we are following you is to be spiritually connected with people who can talk into our life. And you can't talk into someone's life because you just met them 10 minutes ago. you got to journey life with them. Lord, in a world filled with regret, may we be people who are pursuing opportunities that you lay before us. I would have loved to see what John would have said to that crowd. I wonder if people's hearts would have been pierced. I wonder if people would have been baptized. I wonder if people would have come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, but instead, to save his own skin, Herod did something that he knew was wrong. Lord, our life would be so much different if we just stopped doing the things we knew were wrong. 
Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And may we walk humbly with you and know you and grow and experience life with you and through you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.